This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their characters are at the table. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to the Compendium. We are actually finishing out the tiny little list of half-casters in this episode as we delve into the class of the Paladins in the Player's Handbook. Um, this one I'm excited to cover because I personally, in my mind, get it confused a lot with clerics, even though they are kind of fundamentally different in a lot of ways. For some reason, my brain is like, clerics and paladins are pretty much the same. One of them just can go poke, poke, stab, stab, but that's not entirely true. So we are going go, to break down they paladins. Go, <laughs> they go poke, poke, stab, smite, stab smite. With, <laughs> with divine fury. Um, they don't want to convert you. They want to kill you um, if you're evil. Jack, put that on a shirt. Um, mm. Actually, you could. So yeah, put that on a shirt. Yeah. Um, let me just make a note here real quick. One second. All right. Cool. <laughs> Coming soon to thecriticaldice.com. No. Uh, anyways, back oh, on joke. track. It could happen. Paladins. Uh, <laughs> We are talking about paladins, um, and I'm, yes. I'm very excited. I feel like they also have some cliches, but I feel like their cliches are actually a little bit more accurate, that mm -hmm. that what people think about them is, is pretty much how you're going to see them played for, for some different reasons. Um, so let's dive into not only the class, but also what fits it into this little category of half-casters, of which there are so few classes that kind of... Yeah. Classify, for lack of a better word. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we've talked about this before uh, a lot of different places about how everything kind of splits off into martial and magical, and then magical is divided again into arcane and divine. Um, and inside of the magical, there are two classes that are slightly more martial versions of that uh, magical side. And then the divine side, you have two of them. You have the slightly more martial um like nature magic person which is the ranger which we talked about last time and here we have the slightly more martial version of the kind of like religious divine side um which is the paladin uh so it does make a lot of sense as to why they're the half casters and uh just to kind of give you a top level why they're kind of considered half casters is because they typically don't get cantrips and they uh, have fewer spell slots and they have a cap of fifth level spells and they typically also don't get their magic until a little bit later on whereas of any of the full caster classes whether it's cleric or bard or wizard are going to have cantrips and spells uh to cast at first level right off the bat right um i mean you're the, the key thing with paladins is that their martial abilities are kind of the focal point, right? So they're people that are really, really powerful fighters that augment their fighting style with this kind of special magic that they can either imbue into their attacks or just outright cast, depending on the situation. But the fighting is is what you're paying attention to. It's, it's the swords, it's, you know, the armor. It's not like... Uh, wizards where you're you know their their primary source of engaging in combat is literally standing on the sidelines and casting and they're squishy like this is kind yes. of built to be a tank that just packs an extra punch 
Yeah, and more so than a tank even, they're kind of built to be strikers um, where they're going to do, you know, to kind of borrow a terminology from our conversation with Keith Alman, uh, and the monsters know what they're doing is that, yeah, they have great AC, they have great hit points, but what they're known for is doing just a ton of damage in one quick shot to where the foe might just not make it to a second round, um, which interestingly enough is very similar to how rogues do damage. They just don't stay in the front line to do it. So yeah, so uh, they're pretty good tanks and they're great strikers that just are going to let off all of that pent up anger that is religious based, uh, <laughs> unlike the emotional basis of the barbarians. So yeah, it's uh, they're a lot of fun. And let's to your point too about how the martial is kind of what is what they're known for and their kind of fighting prowess. It's interesting because they are known for their fighting prowess, but because of their magical bend. Yes, yeah, so um, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It really is. And I mean, to, to just kind of jump into it, even in the description, it says that um, I had it right here, um, that even though they're known for their fighting stuff, um, let me see here. Um, man, where is it? I just, just saw it. Uh Okay, even so, their martial skills are secondary to the magical power they wield, the power to heal the sick and injured, to smite the wicked and the undead, and to protect the innocent and those who join them in their fight for justice. So even uh, the kind of like layout of what this archetype is, they even try to minimize the martial skills, but yet then they talk about all the things that they can do, magically speaking, that helps them with their martial skills. So they're, they're, you're right, there is a kind of a chicken egg, um, maybe even to better define it, it's they're so intertwined, it would be uh, perhaps a fool's errand or even unnecessary to try to separate them out. Uh, that's kind of the way I think about it because right. they are really one in the same in a way. So we have not gotten into casters yet, and clerics fall into casters. Mm -hmm. um, so we haven't really talked about them much, but I do really want to unpack the difference between a paladin and a cleric, because again, clerics, that's their thing. They go out and they heal people and they channel their energy from the gods. And like, there's so many crossovers that it, 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 it blurs the line a lot about like, well, wait a minute, what makes these different? Why are these different? And so I want to talk about the difference to start off between paladins and clerics, but I also want to explore a little bit of the difference of the source of magic, because yeah. that comes into that conversation of clerics versus paladins. It's not the same, but it's a nuanced version of a similar thing. So let's define that because I still to this day have a hard time parsing those apart in my brain. So I'm guessing that our listeners might have some of the same questions. Absolutely. And so, I mean, if you think about it in game, you could absolutely come across a religious order or a temple, which would have both clerics and paladins working for that same temple, that same order, or that same God. But the way that they are different is, is really their approach and the source of their divine magic. A cleric come, their power their magical power comes from their devotion to their god. A paladin's divine power comes from their devotion to their oath itself, to the concept of justice and or righteousness itself. And so 
it even says here in that same kind of paragraph I was reading is that although many paladins are devoted to gods of good, a paladin's power comes from uh, comes as much from a commitment to justice itself, the ideal, the idea, as it does from a god. And so that's where the big difference in schism comes is that you could technically have an atheistic paladin who would still have access to divine gifts because they are devoted to the concept of justice, the principles of justice and a righteousness. And they happen to also align themselves with other people who are devoted to that concept just through religious means. Right. It's not super common, but it even harkens back to earlier editions in the game where they even called out that a paladin or a cleric could be devoted to a concept as opposed to the God itself. And here in fifth edition, they really kind of, you know, refine that idea so that paladins are, their power comes from the commitment to the concept, to the ideal, and not necessarily the God who embodies that ideal. Right. And I think that's an important distinction because there is the opportunity, like in a storytelling sense, that mm -hmm. let's say that that cleric and that paladin are part of the same order. Um, mm -hmm. And the the god that, that is, you know, overseeing that order, however you want to put that above it, sure. um, issues this commandment to the cleric saying, hey, you need to go and wipe out this village. They've committed unspeakable acts against me, blah, blah, blah. But then the paladin at that point, if they're lawful, if they're looking at doing justice, there's innocent people there, mm -hmm. right? So even so this, even though this God, this deity said, this is what you need to do on my behalf, the cleric would then have to follow orders because that's, that's what they do. That's their class. Right. Whereas the paladin might separate and be like, no, we're not doing that because that is not following what is true and just because there are innocent people there. There might be travelers there. We can't just slaughter an entire city because some of them offended you. Um, and so I think that's a good breaking point to distinguish the like it, alignment a little bit. Yeah, it really is. And I like how you kind of uh, almost flip the script a little bit because most of the time people think of like, oh, destroying a whole town. Yeah, that's a, that's a paladin for sure. But you're right because if it goes against their oath, it goes against their kind of internal code, they're not going to do it. Whereas a cleric, it comes down to their God and the kind of canonized or dogma of teachings of that God. And so while there is a wide swath of where those two different codes could overlap, it's not a perfect circle. There are lots of places where that might might diverge and cause different goals and different perspectives on a particular problem. I did come up with what I think is probably a really good example of a paladin um, before we, we jumped onto our recording, which was uh, the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword from Indiana Jones and oh. the, the Holy Grail, because yeah. it's a brotherhood that's devoted to doing violence for the sake of protecting this object that cannot fall into the wrong hands. And even yeah. even the knight that guards the the Holy Grail in the film, I feel like that also falls into the category in its essence of a, of a paladin because they're doing what's just, I don't know. I just, I was like, I feel like yeah. that could align pretty well with that concept of a paladin for like a fictional example. I, I love that actually, yeah, because those that, that order, while there's religious overtones, they don't strike me as particularly religious they are very much a militaristic uh, group that has a specific goal that's a subset 
of a larger faith system, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's beautiful. That's perfect, Casey. Um, I like that very much. I, I think if you look at history or perhaps if we go into fiction as well, um, another good example might be like Joan of Arc uh, could be a good idea because she's a martial character, a leader, a fighter primarily who, according to history, had some you know divine things going on. But a lot of time, the established church at the time did not like her. Um, they had very different codes Mm -hmm. so that might she also might be a warlock I don't know Uh, (laughs) I I was talking to my wife yeah I was having this conversation with my wife who is not a D&D player about this very thing yesterday and anyway but so I've been thinking about Joan of Arc lately Um, but yeah so she might be a good example of a historical paladin that also might do a good job of highlighting the differences between clerics and paladins uh, can you think of any other from fiction uh, other than the, the Indiana Jones uh, concept? Oh, gosh, offhand. I don't know. Like I said, I struggle with this concept to begin with. So when I had that idea of the the Indiana Jones one, I was like, ah, my brain can comprehend this concept now. Um, yeah. I kind because... of feel, I mean, it doesn't fit perfectly because I do feel like he's more of a ranger. But going back to our conversation of the Witcher, it's the same kind of thing. Like I'm out there to hunt the monsters. You know, I will I will do it for good people or bad people because the thing I am hunting is worse mm-hmm. than you know the bad people or kind of again that concept of overarching justice that's above themselves. Yeah, I, I think also perhaps there could be argument made for most of Arthur's Knights of the Round Table, mm-hmm. while they are quasi-religious, questing for the Holy Grail to go to the Monty Python movie, but also other things, they work off of a code. That code happens to also align with a lot of the ideals of the religions of the time, but they live by that code and they were very martially oriented and which makes, you know, Lancelot's betrayal all that worse. Um, It wasn't because he was violating sacred religious texts, but he was violating the code and the ethic of what it meant to be a knight of the round table so i think mandalorians perhaps, oh absolutely Talking there you about go codes that's I was it like oh yes. codes yeah i'm hearing yeah. absolutely the mandalorian this is the way. Expect, yeah this is the way that's the code right um and if you're not watching boba fett there's a whole episode of boba fett that's not an episode of boba fett it's just a secret episode of the mandalorian which deals with what happens when you break the code it's really great yeah mandalorian is a great example we should have hit that at the beginning (laughs) well we got there eventually we got there yeah yeah great point yeah all right so now that we have a mental image in our mind of what paladins are how they're a little bit different from um the the sister class if you will of clerics Mm -hmm. let's go into um creating a paladin, a level one paladin, what they're going to look like, the build you're going to get, why you're going to get some of that that way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the suggested build starts off with um, strength and charisma. And then I went and like flipped through the pages because I was like, charisma, that's, I mean, that usually it's a wisdom that's a casting thing. So why are they saying charisma? But charisma is their casting, like their casting source. Right. Um, which I found interesting. It makes sense, but I was like, bards, yeah. aren't bards the only other one that use charisma no. for their casting? Sorcerers and warlocks. Really? Sorcerers and warlocks do? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so to, to, as, a, as a nice kind of little like transition from the previous topic is this is another way that they're different mechanically, but it also hits to like the ethos of of like the belief systems, because whenever you have charisma as a stat, especially when it comes to spell casting charisma is all about 
how do I exert my will, my personality and, and the things that I want onto the world. And so socially charisma makes sense for like, you know, uh, persuasion, intimidation, all those kinds of things, because it's how you do that through a social construct. With spell casting, it's literally like almost like belief or just your force of will changing reality because of just of who you are. And so with the innate spell casting that comes from sorcerers, um, and then also the performance kind of casting of bards, but also here as well with the paladins, it makes a little bit more sense because it's about the code. It's about seeing the change in the world, not because you're abdicating that change to some God, but rather because you believe by following this code of conduct, this, this code of an ideal is how you change the world. And since a lot of their spells are smitey smitey and pokey pokey, that's makes a lot of sense and so that's why it's charisma as opposed to say something like wisdom for the druid or the um gotcha or the cleric yeah yeah so i i mean i agree with both of those i so, sometimes in these builds i was like that seems odd i might build that a little bit differently but because of what what paladins do i think that that's a great suggestion is your your first stat dump into strength so that you can you know mm -hmm. wield the heavy weapons and and punch yeah. a little bit harder and then the second one obviously you need to be able to cast and so having a good score to be able to cast your your spells with is important right um and uh it also plays into like you know uh dc uh or like saving throws and things for some of the spells they cast and stuff too but yeah so that's why it's those things so as martial characters primarily or you know mixed in uh they get the second best uh hip hit dice in the game a d10 um and of course adding constitution modifier to that which is a great third level kind of a stat to invest in is constitution mm -hmm. for any martial class is going to be a front line um but they get proficiency in all armor all and shields uh all armor all, yeah. armor. <laughs> all armor yeah and all the shields all one of them um yes. and then also <laughs> it still bugs me um all simple weapons and martial weapons um and then there's no tools uh they're kind of you know very you know, tunnel vision, that makes sense to me. And then saving throws, wisdom and charisma, which again, that makes sense. And then uh, their skills, you can choose from athletics, insight, intimidation, medicine, persuasion, and religion. I think all of those like really help, you know, fill in the cracks of what they're about. All that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then starting equipment, a martial weapon and a shield or two martial weapons, you could do a wield. Uh, five javelins uh, or any simple melee weapon like a hand axe, which is a great choice as well. Mm, um, yeah. And then a priest pack or an explorer pack. Um, either way. Priest pack. That's a new one mm -hmm. on me. Haven't looked into that one. What, yeah, does that so have like holy water and stuff in it? Um, yeah, it's going to have a, like incense, a prayer book, that kind of stuff. Um, here, I will actually look it up and just read it to us. Um, uh, here we go. Because... Um, that's the things like people hardly ever go and look to see what's in these packs. Um, but uh, yeah, here we go. Well, I feel like most of them don't always have stuff that feels like it would be relevant to helping you in a D&D &D game the way the Explorers pack would. Because rope, rope is a necessity. And a lot of these other ones maybe don't have rope. <laughs> so like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a, um, a priest pack 
inside is going to have uh, a backpack, a blanket, 10 candles, a tinder box, an alms box. So, you know, taking donations for the poor, two blocks of incense, a censer. So that's, you know, where you burn the incense and swing it around. Uh, vestments. Okay. You let it oscillate back and forth as you bless a space. No, I'm I've, aware, but I'm just, I'm picturing the size of all of these objects and the mm -hmm. size of this pack to carry all of this stuff around, especially when that alms box gets full of money. You're you're going to be so noisy. You're just like... <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, they are not good at sneaking up. They are much more likely to follow the code of their order <laughs> and announce themselves very clearly and why they are there and why you have to die. While the rogue is like, dude, I was sneaking here. Uh, and then two days of rations and a water skin. Um, so that's what's in the priest pack. Um, but uh, it just depends. Like, you know, if, if your, your uh, paladin is part of a, uh, a holy order that would also include clerics, then maybe that makes more sense. But maybe if you're just more on, I'm out here to achieve my goals and I'm going to go to the worst places on the planet and, you know, get rid of corruption, then explorer's pack makes a lot more sense. So let's take a, a tiny little segue. Have you ever had somebody like successfully or usefully employ some of these other packs or items from these packs in your games? Um, they don't come up a whole lot. And typically someone goes like, well, if I had rope, do I have rope? And I'm like, yeah, you have rope. Don't worry about it. Like, I'll, like, cause so many of these packs come with rope, like the explorers pack, the other option comes with 50 feet of rope. Um, and I've seen actually, um, people like use like the the pythons to like like uh, that come in a lot of these packs to like keep a door closed or keep a door open which is really great um i've seen people use like you know ball bearings and other things kind of to good effect or the water skin to like spray water on a fire elemental which does do damage to it um but for the most part it's just kind of like a slurry of like common things that an adventurer would have on them so don't worry about it too hard I've seen one person on TikTok, I think it was Bardic Sweet, who said that he, what he does it is that he gives them their pack and it has like five charges. And every time they go, oh, well, I, I want this thing from my pack. Now they've spent a charge and now that is a canonical thing that is in your pack. Mm -hmm. And so if they, you know, say, well, I need rope, boom, that's a charge. Now you have rope use charge from the thing if i need pythons or i need holy water or i not holy water but probably like incense or something then that's the things that now are true about your pack and once you've made five decisions about your pack those are the things that are in your pack and i kind of like that because that ends up feeling much more like what happens in, in the games that i run and i play in but yeah this is one of those little like detail things that for the most part don't really matter yeah. i feel like you'd have to be a little bit of a macgyver to yeah. like figure out a way to make, I mean, which it sounds cool if you it have does. the brain for it, but to figure out how to make some of these objects practical for everyday encounters and adventuring mm -hmm. that you might experience in a normal campaign. It's like yeah. you might have to get really creative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they also get chain mail and a holy symbol, which is good because the holy symbol is an arcane, is a, uh, a spell casting focus uh, and also lets them use like the cleric later on their channel divinities which lets them do spell like effects that aren't spells themselves and don't use slots but does require a holy symbol so the holy symbol can be anything right it could be like a pendant mm -hmm. on a necklace it could be a brooch right people can just use their creativity to decide what their holy symbol is or looks like mm -hmm. or how they carry it with them 
Yeah, exactly. And I've seen people uh, really commonly put it like on their shield or uh, emblazon it on their uh, armor itself. Um, you know, you think like, you know, Uther Pendragon having the, the dragon symbol there. Um, sometimes a holy symbol uh, for the god is a picture of a particular weapon. And so their weapon itself is the holy symbol, which is kind of fun, oh, like, a, like a mace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and a bunch of other things. But typically it's seen as like being an amulet of some kind that you wear around your neck. Now, with holy symbols, are they required in order to access the magic for paladins? Because I know that sometimes with other classes, if you lose your holy symbol, you could be in a little bit of trouble. But paladins don't channel their magic the same way. So is it more just for flavor or is it something that if they lose it somehow, that they're going to be in a little bit of a, a um, bind. Potentially, yes, because this gets into spell descriptions where it has what you need to have to cast gotcha. a spell. Okay. So verbal, semantic, um, and then there's material. And so if you're not keeping track of like, you know, the pinch of bat guano and sulfur, you need to cast fireball, a spell casting focus, which in the case of the cleric and the paladin could be a holy symbol. You don't have to worry about that as long as there's not a monetary cost or, or a consumable cost in there. Um, the other thing is, like I said before, is if you're going to use a channel of divinity, you must have your holy symbol. So if you lose your holy symbol, there's some material spell component things might be locked out to you or your channel divinities might be locked out to you, but otherwise you could still cast. So, okay. yeah. So yeah, that's everything that you get for the build, your weapons, your armor, your skills, your um, hit dice, all of that. Let's, let's go into, let's start talking about as people level up with the base paladin, um, mm -hmm. omitting at this point the oath that you choose at level three, your subclass that you get into, right. um, everything that every paladin is going to get no matter what. Yeah, exactly. So at first level, they get Divine Sense and Lay on Hands. And so Divine Sense is interesting, but I don't see a lot of people using it, uh, especially after a few levels in this class. But it's kind of fun early on where basically you can just like put out your senses and detect things within 60 feet of you uh, that aren't completely blocked by stuff and to know if there's any celestials, fiends, or undead around you. And you'll know the type, um, but not um, anything specific. Uh, they point out here specifically that uh, Strahd von Zedervich, if you detect a uh, undead, you might know it's a vampire, but you wouldn't know it's Strahd. Um, so just kind of vague ideas. It's like a, uh, like a heads up display in like uh, first person shooter games like Halo, mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, there's an enemy right there. Um, and you can also in the same radius detect any place that's been desecrated or consecrated, like with the hallow spell to know if like, oh, we're standing on unholy ground here and out in that graveyard, there's some undead. So we need to be careful, which is kind of fun. And you could use that uh, a number of times per day equal to one plus your charisma modifier. So that's good. And then lay on hands is another really cool one, which comes in, which can be really, really useful because Lay on Hands basically gives you this pool of healing power on the side that recharges every day. And basically you can um, uh, use it to heal HP. And the amount you have is uh, basically hit points equals uh, your Paladin level times five. So you, every time you level up as a Paladin, you get five more of these. 
And so you can use it as an action to touch, you know, your, your own wounds or the wounds of an ally and choose how many of those hit points you want to just transfer back over to that person um, up to the max in your pool. And of course the max of their hit point max. Um, the really fun thing is that you can spend five of those instead of healing, you can actually cure disease or neutralize a poison, uh, which in, you know, That's our handy. Yeah. And with COVID that would have been nice. Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but basically, um, it gets really tactical too, because anytime you have like an assassin or like grung or anything that does poison damage, you could just the, as an action, the, the paladin can just like boop them on the snoot and it neutralizes the poison that's affecting your ally. So that's kind of fun. Um, and it can cure multiple diseases or multiple, uh, poisons with a single use. Um, a lay on hands, you would just spend that chunk of five points for each thing you're curing, but you only have to use one action to do it. Right. So it would, it would get rid of that condition. Essentially, yes. it's not going to give you those five hit points if you've lost hit points, but it's going to remove that condition from you. Correct. Yes. So, yeah, so that's kind of fun. So that's everything at first level. And notice also, too, like I said before, there's no cantrips yet. There's no spell casting yet. That doesn't come until second level, which uh, we can talk about now. Um, so uh, <laughs> my own segue. Okay. Um, so uh, at second level, you get a fighting style, uh, like the ranger, like the fighter, um, where there's a smaller list here, though. Um, so there's defense, where you get an extra AC while you're wearing armor. Dueling, which means that you can do extra uh, plus two damage when you're uh, attacking with a uh, melee weapon. As long as you're not holding another weapon, does a shield, shield count? doesn't count. Ah. Shield, <laughs> shield is good. No, a shield does not count as another weapon. So this is for if you've got like one like giant weapon and a shield, you can use dueling, no problem. And then uh, you have great weapon fighting, which means whenever uh, you a attack with a two-handed weapon or a weapon you're wielding with two weapon, weapons, so that uh, two hands, so uh, a versatile weapon like a long sword or like a great axe or a great sword or something, uh, whenever you roll a one or a two on the damage die, you can re-roll it, but you have to use the new roll. So it helps you kind of always boost those things up a little bit. And it has to be two-handed or versatile, like we said. Uh, and then the last one is protection. Um, when you uh, when a creature you can see attacks a target other than you that's within five feet of you, you can use a reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack roll as long as you're wielding a shield. So again, it gets into that whole ethos of protecting the innocent or those who are allied with you. You can just see someone about to get ganked and you can just like bump them with the shield and it gets disadvantage to that attack. So do they have to call that in advance? So let's say that the DM is about to roll for a monster and they say, hey, they're going to attack this person. Do they have to say, I'm going to do X right. or can the DM roll, call out the roll and then have them be like, oh no, roll that again at disadvantage. So it doesn't say specifically. There's a lot of things that say um, after, there's some things that will say like um, bef before you know the total or after you know the total before, before you, you know, know it hits. It, yeah. It hits, the fails, right? Here it doesn't say that. So I could see very easily this could intend to be that once an attack is declared, you could say, I'm going to use my reaction and impose this advantage. Or probably more commonly, that once you hear what the number is, you could in then impose this advantage. Um, but I think right, because you're, already... you're sacrificing your reaction for this. And so mm -hmm. you don't want to just like do it if the role was already going to suck. <laughs> right. And since that concept of once you know the role before, if you know it attacks or hits, uh, it hits or misses, 
is such a common thing in other places, I could see very easily people just applying that rule here, even though it doesn't specifically call it out. Yeah, that but makes the, a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and the trigger is attacks a target other than you, not hits a target other than you, but attacks. So I can see it both ways. Mm -hmm. um, and then spell casting. Uh, congratulations, you get spell slots. Uh, at first level, you get two first level spot. Uh, second level, you get two first level spell slots. Um, and uh, basically, uh, you have a lot of things that are similar to the cleric um, is that you can prepare any spell that's on the paladin spell list every day. Um, and you can choose a number of spells uh, equal to your charisma modifier plus half your level. So if your charisma modifier is a three and you're at level two, you can pick four spells. Um, and so every day you can just pick from that menu of what you want to have prepared for the day, just like the cleric does. So that's kind mm -hmm. of nice. Uh, it makes it really versatile in that way. Although a lot of people will oftentimes kind of pick their favorites and just stick with that. Right. Um, but and you're going to see this happens at like a long rest. I mean, just based yeah. off of the concept of once a day, which can be helpful too, because if you were, you know, walking through a forest to get somewhere and then you take a rest outside the, the entrance of a cave that you need to go into tomorrow, you might need to equip yourself with something a little bit different. So you can have a little bit of foresight as to what yes. you do or why, which is kind of nice. Right. Um, uh, which is really nice because a lot of the spells are, like you said, martially inclined. Um, but even if you were to kit out your spells for support or perhaps even stealth or information gathering, there is still a way that you could uh, still do devastating damage because at second level, you also get divine smite. So what this is, is that when you hit a creature, you can... Um, expend a spell slot to deal extra radiant damage to it in addition to what you already already do so for for a first level spell slot you're going to add 2d8 damage and then if you spend a a spell slot higher so like a second level you're going to add 1d8 for it to a max of 5d8 so even if you didn't prepare something like branding smite or whatever as a spell you can always just when you know you've hit, choose to also channel just a raw spell slot into raw damage without tip, without casting a spell. You're just converting one resource into another. Right. Um, and that... that. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I was wondering if that if you chose the great weapon fighting style, if mm. that damage die also counts with that if you roll a one or a two. Um. Yeah, I think so because it says when you roll a one or a two on damage die for an attack, you and make with a melee weapon. That counts as a damage die at that point, then, because you're and doing extra was, damage. Yeah, and it was with a melee weapon that you're wielding, so the, the attack was. So yeah, it absolutely would. Um, so yeah, and what's cool too is that if you on a when we get to the spells, there's things like as a bonus action you can cast, you know, branding smite, and it's concentration, so you cast it and hold on to it. And then the next time you hit an enemy with an attack, uh, a melee attack, uh, you can choose to then like set it off, which is going to do like extra damage or some other kind of like condition effect, like, you know, uh, being blinded or, you know, whatever. Um, you could also spend a divine smite spell slot and do even more damage on top of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you were a second level paladin and you picked like let's say a great axe that is like 2d6 damage and you had a smite 
spell Helda's Concentration. That's going to do another 2d8. And then you chose to use your, your Divine Smite also to spend that last spell slot for more 2d8. So now you're doing 2d6 plus 48 damage on a hit plus your Strength Modifier at second level. So you see why there are strikers and why things don't tend, tend not to last very long around them because even early, early on, they can just leave it all on the field, as it were, and just decimate a target. Well, you brought up another really interesting point I hadn't even considered, which is concentration for spells. Because mm -hmm. attacking does not end your concentration. No. Only casting another spell does. And usually for casters, right, they they that's they're kind of stuck in a holding pattern when they cast this spell that requires concentration because their thing is casting right. they can't cast again while they're concentrating but in theory if i'm if i'm thinking about this right a paladin could cast something with concentration and keep fighting every round of battle yes. while holding concentration obviously there's some stipulations for if they get hit or some other things right and but a lot of their concentration they can keep spells going. yeah a lot of the concentration spells are bonus actions which are meant to be spent right after that with the next action which is their attack um and theoretically too they could hold on to it and cast just like other casters cast other non-concentration spells while still maintaining concentration um and as long as they don't take a massive amount of damage which could cause a, a concentration roll or they're not incapacitated that concentration won't break so uh these guys really are uh they're they're a favorite of a lot of players because they do one thing and they do it really really right. well so yeah yeah and that is that it at, i mean that's a lot but is that it yeah at, at level two you got to do yes, your, your fighting style and your define smite as well as like the access to the spell casting right. and then third level um is your oath but you also get divine health right so because you're so cool and fused with divine magic you're immune to disease at third level that third level i mean there's some races that get similar kind of types of of bumps but still third level that's a really good it is benefit. for a living breathing organism typically that's pretty good monks get it but i think a little bit later like wholeness of body i think it's called um but yeah they, they really do, which is why they go into disease-infested necrotic layers and kill all the undead because, ah, they're fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we'll get into the oaths in just a second. We'll yeah. cover all of those because there's more than it are just available in the PHB, like usual. Um, mm -hmm. But continuing on with your uh, basic vanilla paladin, um, you also get ability and score improvements um, as you level up. So starting at level four is your first mm -hmm. one, right? Yeah, and then they, they get a pretty typical advancement here. So level four, level eight, level 12, 16, and 19, um, which is pretty typical. It's not as many as the fighter, which is ridiculous, but it is still a lot. Um, so more or less every four levels, they're going to get that. Um, and you can use that for a feat or to increase an ability up to level 20. Mm -hmm. um, and then at fifth level, extra attack. Being a martial character, that makes complete sense. Barbarians, fighters, rangers, and... Um, our paladins get that when they take the attack action, they can attack twice instead of once. Um, pretty straightforward, but really, really great because it lets them give them more opportunities to channel smites into things. So, Is there a difference between an extra attack and a second attack? Because I know that these compound in weird ways. Yes. So 
and this is something that I always have to remind new players of is that when you get extra attack, you don't get an extra action. Right. It just means that there are two attacks hiding inside that one action, which is attack. Um, but there could be uh, cases where you could make a second attack with like say a two hand uh, two weapon fighting where you have an offhand attack with like a dagger or something mm -hmm. or if you have an extra action through something like action surge or haste which would then have an, a legitimate new action that might have its own restrictions or or terms but yes and so then so in different. that case the extra attack would apply to let's say i mean again we're using weird combos but like an action action surge you yes. would then get an extra attack with that action surge. Correct. So, yeah, Which is why I was like, these marry kind of mm -hmm. interestingly. So it's important to break down what it means that if you already get two attacks because you're using like two weapon fighting, that you're not just out now because, oh, I get a second attack. Well, now this means you would get a third one, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so a very, very common thing with fighters is to get extra attack then use action surge for uh, one more action, which gives you a total of four attacks. And if they're using two weapon fighting, they only get one bonus action, but that's the fifth one, you know, right. so they, they can become whirling dervishes of death. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, and then at level six is really cool because this is a, a, another thing that a kind of paladins are known for because it's really useful for like party dynamics is the aura of protection. So basically, uh, Anytime that you, which is really important, or a friendly creature, so a party member, is within 10 feet of you, so this is a, a 10 foot radius or a 20 foot diameter, uh, if they have to make a saving throw, they get a bonus to it equal to your charisma modifier, as long as you're conscious. Um, and at uh, level 18, it increases to 30 feet, so a 60 foot diameter. And depending on what your oath is, there's additional things that happen inside that aura. Um, I would like to also point out that if you drop to zero hit points and start rolling death saves, which is a death saving throw, this mm -hmm. aura still counts. Right. So you get yeah, to add that bonus. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, which is awesome. And it makes perfect sense considering, you know, what the Paladin is all about, right? Yeah, Help protect don't people. die on me. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, don't you die on me. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then at uh, 10th level, we have Aura of Courage, uh, which basically you and friendly creatures inside, you know, 10 feet of you, basically your aura. Uh, they can't be frightened while you're awake. And again, that increases at 18th level to 30 feet. Uh, so it's like this, like, come on, man, we can do it. Don't be scared. The dragon's only 20 times bigger than us. We can take it down. Uh, and they just can't be frightened, which is great because there's a lot of big creatures like dragons that just have an aura of fear. And the paladin's aura of courage just creates a little bubble of safety from that, which is nice. <laughs> Everybody, group hug. <laughs> yeah. Care Bear Stare. Um, and then at 11th level, the improved Divine Smite, which basically means- It's new and improved. It is, and it's always on. Um, that whenever you hit a creature with a melee weapon, the creature takes an extra 1d8 radiant. Just flat, always, doesn't matter. And then you can also do our trick from before, which is where you've casted a bonus action Smite, and then you also dump an extra Smite from just raw uh, spell casting uh, slots and just stack and stack and stack and stack. So it's like Oprah is, with smites. It is. And you get a smite and you get a smite. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, so that's really rad. And then at level 14, uh, you can use your action to end one spell on you or a willing creature that you touch, cleansing touch. Uh, so you can use a number of times at your uh, charisma modifier and it refreshes on a long rest. So basically if they've been cursed or someone cast like Bane on them or whole person, you can just boop and it's gone. They're back in the fight, which is kind of nice. Uh, very um, nice, yes. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're talking about like a charm person, that one of your party yeah. member got charmed by someone and now it's like, oh, you're my friend. You're not going to attack me. Yeah, and which <laughs> is a common tactic among certain undead like vampires and certain demons like succubuses this might be a game changer and yeah so and then 18 the capstone ability which is not that interesting we've already mentioned it all your auras increase to 30 feet that's good but it becomes really great when you start adding in the oaths on there as well um before we go into like uh the different oaths i do want to talk about some of the extra things that let you uh that you get to do when you include the optional class features from tasha's um, mm-hmm. you get uh, a lot, you get extra spells that are considered paladin spells for you. Um, there's a couple of new fighting styles, um, like blessed warrior, where you can pick two cleric cantrips. Cantrips, can huh? Yeah. Which is a, Ooh. which is wild and crazy. So, which is awesome. Uh, but now you actually have cantrips. Yay. Uh, blind fighting where you can basically, uh, see things within 10 feet of you, even if you're blinded or in darkness or they're invisible. And then a kind of different version of protection called interception. Uh, when you see a creature that gets hit with a, um, uh, wait, when a creature you can see hits a target other than you within five feet of you. So this is all like protection. You can use a reaction to reduce the damage by 1d10 plus your proficiency bonus. Um, as long as you're holding a shield or a weapon in your hand, either simple or martial. So it's another way to protect people. Like, yeah, the attack hit, but it's going to get reduced down as I make it harder for that attack to really deal significant damage. So that's kind mm-hmm. of fun. Um, and then uh, at third level, the option is harness divine power. Uh, you can give up one of your channel divinities, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, to basically uh, use up one of those things and gain a uh, spell slot you've already used up, uh, which has a cap of basically uh, no higher than half your proficiency bonus. So if you have like a three, it can only be a first level spell. If you have a six, it can be no longer higher than a third. Um, and uh, you can do it more often as you level up and then also martial versatility, which is something that happens with a lot of the martial classes. Uh, at, whenever you get an ASI, an ability score improvement, you can just swap out your fighting style with a different one that you're allowed to have, um, which you know kind of represents you shifting the way that you fight on the battlefield. So that's it. That's handy. It is. It, it gives some versatility and leave you like locked into stuff, which is kind of fun. Cool. Yeah, those are all in the the Tasha's. Yeah, they they presented a lot of they really did good alternatives that I feel like expanded without breaking a lot of the classes in most cases, it which did. is nice. And, and in, in some cases, fixed uh, some like lingering problems from its inception, mm-hmm. or let people do things they always kind of wanted to do, and a lot of homebrew was doing already, and they just made it canon, as it were. So yeah. So let's get into the oaths because this is the bread and butter of 
paladins, as we talked about, if, uh, you know, your magic does not come from a deity, it comes from your belief in this true justice or this, this thing that you swear an oath to uphold. Um, and so the oath that you choose, I think is, is not only going to give you a lot of benefits for the class, but it's going to influence your character development as well as your, your, um, how you play your character in yeah. a lot of situations based off of what that oath is. Yeah, absolutely. And I love too in the player's handbook, it even gives you some ways of like creating your own oath, uh, which is kind of fun. I really like that. Um, where it could be like honesty, courage, compassion, honor, duty, things like that. Um, uh, like courage, it says like, if you pick courage, uh, never fear to act, though caution is wise. Honor, treat others with fairness and let your honorable deeds be an example to them. Do as much good as possible while causing the least amount of harm, which is nice um so those are kind of in there um and um once you get your oath um you get more spell slot uh, spell spell list options and you also get your channel divinities and some cool things that happen to your aura as well so that's kind of the template of what happens in these oaths and i think the first one is uh oath of devotion is that right from player's handbook uh, yes it is yeah, I have my digital copy with me, not my physical today. So yeah, there's just... so many mentions of the word oath on this page that I was like, mm -hmm. which which oath is it? Yes, is this one? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so oath of devotion uh, is basically um, is, is kind of like the basic one. Uh, I think that's in the free rules as well. The basic rules, uh, expanded spell list. Um, and you get sacred weapon. Uh, so as an action, you can imbue one weapon you're holding with positive energy with your channel divinity. Uh, so for a minute, you can add your charisma modifier to attack rolls made with that weapon. Um, and it also emits bright light out to 20 feet. And if it wasn't already magical, it becomes magical for the purposes of overcoming resistances, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of fun. And then you also have turn the unholy. You can use your action, channel divinity, and, and any uh, fiend or undead that can see and hear you within 30 feet has to make a wisdom save. If not, they have to, they're turned, which means basically for one minute, they have to just use their action to get as far away from you as possible. They just can't be in your presence because of all the awesomeness. Um, but yeah, basically, which is kind of fun. Uh, clerics have a similar ability, which is why there's sometimes confusion. Uh, with devotion, your aura also now gets um, to affect you and the friendly creatures inside your aura can't be charmed while you're conscious, uh, which is nice. And um, then purity of spirit, which means at 15th level, you are always under the effects of protection from good and evil as the spell. Uh, so basically, uh, when you choose whatever kind of creature it is, um, uh, so aberrations, celestials, elementals, fey, fiends, and undead. Uh, basically, you they have disadvantage uh, attacking you. Uh, you can't be charmed, frightened, or possessed by them, which is really interesting. And uh, if you were already charmed, uh, frightened, or possessed, uh, it goes away. Um, so some of that's a little redundant because of the auras, but it's still really, really nice um, that that spell's always happening. Uh, and then this uh, capstone ability at level 20 for the devotion is Holy Nimbus, which 
It sounds like Go something ahead. that Robin would say. Holy Nimbus, Batman. Ah. Holy Nimbus, Harry. <laughs> yeah, I was going for Harry Potter. Uh, I'm also like, wait, is this like a Dragon Ball Z reference? What's going on? Um, but uh, basically, as an action, you can just become a second sun. You just emanate sunlight uh, in 30-foot radius. Uh, and if any enemy starts their turn there, they take 10 radiant damage. That's not a D10 radiant, just 10 enjoy that um and uh you also have advantage uh on saving throws uh, against spells cast by fiends and undead and it only works once per long rest so you can basically go super saiyan when it comes to smiting uh you know devils and undeads mm-hmm. fiends and undead but yeah so yeah there's that um then there's Oath of the Ancients, and I'll kind of go through these a little more quickly, I'm sorry, um, which are is kind of more of like an elven bend to things um, about preserving stuff, uh, preserving the light, be the light is their idea. Uh, Channel Divinities, uh, there's two of them. Nature's Wrath, uh, basically you can ensnare a foe, like vines uh, come up from the ground, grab creatures within 10 feet of you, and they have to make a saving throw where they're restrained. Um, or you can also do Turn the Faithless, uh, which is going to basically make things really bad for fiends and fey. Um, they basically, it's like a, it's like Turn Undead, but for fey and fiends, basically. That's what it is. Um, your aura also lets you um, uh, share a resistance to damage from spells, which is really cool. Um, later on, uh, you can kind of do that thing where you're too angry to die. Uh, if you get dropped to zero, you get dropped to one instead. Um, and um, uh, the capstone ability there is basically, again, you get to go Super Saiyan for one minute. Um, uh, you gain 10 hit points at the start of each of your turns, which is amazing. Um, yeah. Um, and your Paladin spells that, ca- that cost one action to cast, now they just cost a bonus action which is like, wait, what? And yeah. enemies within 10 feet of you had disadvantage uh, against your spells and channel divinities, which is amazing. Um, Oath of Vengeance, uh, basically the same idea. It's like doubling down on the whole smite the evil thing. Um, their uh, channel divinities is our abjure in- enemy, which basically means that um, they get really scared of you. Um, and then Vow of Enmity, which originally appeared um, in 4th edition, actually, um, where as a bonus action, you could uh, basically mean that you get advantage attacking this one guy that you've marked as like your Huckleberry, as it were, um, and uh, it, it kind of marks them. So you're really good at taking down this one dude. Um, Relentless Avenger, basically you can make it harder for people to run away from you. Soul of Vengeance, um, whenever you use that Vow of Entity, um, you can also uh, use your reaction to just hit them just because you can basically make an opportunity attack just because they're your they're your bad your bad guy, right? You you mark them as your vow entity as a reaction as long as they're close enough, just hit them. It's fine. Why did Go why did it. I get a mental image of like siblings sitting in the car? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just like minding their own business and the thwap. <laughs> I, I love that, like, when they cast that channel of Vinny, the, the verbal component is just like, Mom, they're on my side of the car. They're and breathing the bad my guy's air. Like, yeah, the bad guy's like, what? 
what's happening? And then they just start <laughs> handling like childhood trauma to destroy this guy. Um, and then their capstone is avenging angel. When they go super saiyan, they can fly now. Um, their aura lets them uh, uh, make people afraid, which would totally work. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the idea there. And that's everything from the player's handbook. Um, there, uh, unsurprisingly, are a ton of others. Including uh, our favorite. Favorite, the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Uh, so Oath of Conquest um, is basically, these are the guys who are, um, uh, they'll even work with the Nine Hells in order to like accomplish their goals. So it's all about strength and might makes right. It doesn't matter whose might it is as long as, well, how about this? The world's a mess and I just need to rule it is the kind of vibe. Um, they have some cool things where they can make people afraid. Uh, they have guiding strike as a channel divinity, which gives them a plus 10 to, a, to an attack roll like a cleric does. Um, their aura um, basically makes people frightened. They have a thing called Scornful Rebuke, where uh, it lets you do extra psychic damage to people. And their capstone, their Super Saiyan, basically, is that gives them resistance to all damage. Uh, they can make an extra attack, and they can score a crit on a 19 or a 20. That's nice. It is, isn't it? So they just even just like, the resistance to all damage, all mm -hmm. for that one minute while they're super saiyan, absolutely. I mean, usually in combat, all you need is a minute. That's a long combat. Oh yeah, that's like a whole battle, unless it's like the last battle. So yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I don't think we've did Oath of uh, of Glory, but this one is uh, very much like like feats of strength. Think about Hercules, like feats of strength and tasks and that kind of thing. Uh, challenges and things so they can basically channel divinity for peerless athlete which is something they borrowed from i think barbarians or certain fighters where they can have advantage on athletic and acrobatics checks uh inspiring smite um you can basically uh when you use this you can use your bonus action and give out temporary hit points like your oprah to everyone in 30 feet of you um and you can kind of divide those up uh, they, their aura gets kind of cool where everyone gets faster, they can run faster um, their glorious defense at 15th level gives them a bonus to the AC and living legend is their super saiyan where they can um, get advantage on charisma checks um, you can reroll a missed attack uh, if you miss and um, you can also reroll saving throws if you miss yeah, not not if you roll like a one or a two. If it's just if you didn't roll high enough to meet. Right. If you fail a saving throw, use your reaction and reroll it, which is kind of fun. Um, Oath of Redemption is kind of interesting because this is the one. Um, is this it? Um, okay. Yeah. So this is the one where it is more clericky, where it's like, listen, I'm going to smite the wicked, but I'm going to give him one last chance to repent. Right. That's what they're about. Um, and usually, in my mind, at the heel of their boot with a sword pointed at their face. Like, would you like to repent now? And they're like, no. They Tea spit and on cake them. or death. <laughs> yeah. Cake or death. Um, pretty much. Yeah. Th these guys are Church of England. Yeah. Uh, so 
<laughs> I love that you made that reference. Uh, emissary, so Channel Divinity's Emissary of Peace, they can uh, add things to their persuasion checks, uh, rebuke the violent, which I'm all, that's a little hypocritical, but um, you can basically, uh, yeah, wait, immediately after your attack within 30 feet deals damage with an attack against a creature other than you, you can use a reaction to force the attacker to make a wisdom save if they fail it. Uh, they take ra radiant damage equal to the damage they just dealt. <laughs> when they Back hurt somebody you. else, they can mirror the damage. That's great. Um, their aura basically also lets them... Um, uh, wait, this one's confusing. I'm sorry. Usually I'm better at this. Oh, basically you can take damage uh, that was meant for other people. In their oh, okay. So you yeah, just kind of like divert the damage to you, who's probably mm -hmm. a little bit more capable of, of managing. Exactly. So it's a reaction, but that's kind of cool. Protective spirit in 15th level. Uh, you can uh, regain hit points and their super saiyan at level 20 uh, lets you have her damage, uh, resistance to all damage. Um, and um, again that rep th that retribution kind of th mirroring damage where if they hit you you can do some more damage back to them um we did oath of agents oath of the crown i think is a sort of coast one um where this is more like to like this is like knights of the round table right like it's an oath to the sovereign to the king to whatever it is right mm -hmm. um and this one's really fun too because basically channel divinities you can challenge someone to a duel like like the spell compel duel which is kind of cool um and then you also have a channel divinity that as a bonus action you can just give hit points out to people nearby uh again that kind of cool idea and then at uh, 17th level uh, you can uh, basically keep people from taking damage by substituting your own health. Um, you get at 15th level advantage uh, when you're trying to save against paralyzed or stunned and exalted champion at level 20, they're super saiyan. You have resistance to BPS from non-magical weapons. Uh, all your allies have advantage on death saves while well, at 30 feet of you. And you have advantage on wisdom saving throws uh, as well as your allies. Wow. 30 feet of you. Yeah. So it's I just like, like how community focused so many of these things. I mean, it, again, it fits they right are. into it, but like there's so many abilities that the paladins have the options to get that isn't about them. It, it's like they're kind of just the conduit to allow this ability for other people that. Mm hmm that they're fighting alongside of. Yeah, and that's what is really great about um, about Paladins is while they are like almost made for like bin maxers or like people who wanna like power game a little bit because they are so good at the one thing they do. The second thing they're known for, like you said, it's about community. It's about helping the whole team. Just like stay with me and we're gonna puncture a hole through this front line. We've got this. And so it's very easy for sometimes for paladins to end up becoming party leaders or at least um, party leaders in combat. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's only two more left that I can see. Uh, there's Oath of the Watchers, uh, which basically is um, kind of one that like, isn't about like killing undead and devils and fiends and things, but rather looking to protect your plane from threats from the multiverse. Uh, so extra planar creatures, um, which is kind of fun. So like, you know, uh, 
uh, Illithids and Githyanki, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, their channel divinity is basically uh, lets you uh, have advantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. Which is good because again go back to like all the psionicists and things that come from out there and illithids and such and then abjure the extra planar um basically it's turned undead but for um but for aberrations celestials elementals phase or fiends um and then basically their aura lets you have alertness like the feet kind of where you get a bonus to your initiative uh, equal to your proficiency bonus uh 15th level uh there's a, a vigilant rebuke um is that if a creature you can see within 30 feet succeeds on an intelligence wisdom or charisma saving throw you can use your reaction to deal 2d8 plus charisma modifier force damage to them instead so if they your spell doesn't work hurt them anyway <laughs> and it doesn't uh, work it'll work yeah it worked 100 percent of the time 50 percent of the time uh and then there's super saiyan at level 20 immortal bulwark is they get true sight and advantage on attack rolls against aberrations celestials elementals phase and fiends and um you can also t- force them to take extra charisma damage when you hit them with a weapon attack um and that's it for that one and then the last one is weirdly a lot of people's favorite because it's the anti-paladin it's the oath breaker so yeah before we get into that one actually because that's kind of what i wanted to talk about next yeah um the big thing with paladins is that their magic their ability their focus their true north comes from their the oath that they take swearing their allegiance to this this concept almost this ideal um and and it's possible to not act in accord with that oath or to Mm -hmm. go into situations that make you question it or start changing your perspective on this oath that you took um and so the first thing that i I actually want to talk about is what happens when somebody does not follow their oath when they don't act in accord to the oath that they set because there's a whole section in the player's handbook about what to do if somebody does not uphold their oath, right? Because if that happens, they're not going to get their magic. Yeah. And so it's it, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And this kind of harkens back to the early days of the game in the 70s and 80s, where it wasn't just that the paladin had to act according to their, um, their oath. They had to make sure their party did too, or they would be penalized. Their oath really? in the Napoleon- was depended upon other people's actions that you may not have control over so just associating with bad people like the party rogue or bard um might make you lose abilities which was really unfair it was interesting but uh, that's not going to fly these days i don't really like that yeah it's a little hard in a cooperative kind mm -hmm. of strategy game because that's setting that's setting the party against themselves instead of being a cooperative collaborative game which is the whole point of it so i can see how that would really easy easily fracture just the foundation of dnd to begin with right exactly um and it got a little tedious as well but it made for a lot of fun jokes but basically now the way that works is that just like with a cleric if they 
act in accordance in a way that's contrary to their God, in the paladin's case, their oath, they could lose their abilities. Um, and they may have to go on a quest or a special um, you know, prescribed atonement ritual in order to get those abilities back. Um, were you going to add something to that? I think you have it in front of you. Um, I, I think, like, obviously I've got, like, the information here, and I think conceptually people can, can follow the concept that, hey, if you don't, if you don't do what you said you were going to do, if you make different choices, or if you act in a way that doesn't uphold this, um, that there's going to be consequences, right? Mm -hmm. I think the, the big question is, is partially core, like the raw, um, rules as written, um, but also how just um, conceptually you've played that with how to remedy that, right? Because the, the book has in here about how you might need to do like a full day of fasting and prayer to to repent for your actions, or you might need to seek out a cleric of that shares like a deity to the one that perhaps is the kind of like a focus for your oath. Um, but in gameplay, that that's not always possible, right? If you're stuck in the middle of the Underdark with mm -hmm. your team trapped in a cavern and your paladin makes a dumb mistake because the player got carried away or who knows what happened, right? You can't just be like, okay, guys, I'm going to sit here for the next 24 hours in, in a tone because like, you just can't in that scenario. So how do you handle that? Or how do, how do you work within that confines of keeping it really interesting and saying like, that's not what your oath would be. There's consequences mm -hmm. to keep the game interesting and to keep the character authentic, but also like work within the confines of the story and the other characters that are playing. Right. And so what I would do and have done is that when I see a mechanic like that, that is a role play mechanic, I keep the consequences in the same sphere. So it would be a role play detriment because of a role play mechanic. And so if they, like you said, like they're going to spend seven sessions in the Underdark, and on the third session, that paladin does something that is oath breaking, I'm not going to inflict it or even bring it up maybe until they finish the Underdark arc you know, those seven sessions. And then that kind of space where they finally make it to, to the surface or to a safe place, and they have some downtime where they're gonna you know, count treasure, do more than just like a quick long rest. That's when they're going to realize something's wrong and I would mention it to them. And so they're gonna have to spend their downtime taking care of this through atonement or fasting or talking to a cleric or perhaps even a little personal side quest that takes, you know, less than a full, you know, sessions worth of it that may or may not include the rest of the party. Uh, so I would keep it to a role play issue since it is a role play mechanic and not mess with all the battles for the next four sessions because they don't have an aura anymore and they don't have any smites and now they're just a worse fighter. That's not fun. And it, again, going back to like we talked about with the old editions of like your moral code having to be opposed on other people, it's not really fun and it can slow things down. So I would like let it be more like zoomed out so that it's not right that second, but rather once you have downtime and you're through this crisis, you're gonna start to realize what you did. Mm -hmm. And yes. it, yeah. Yeah, some other thoughts that I had too, depending again, like I feel like as a DM, you just get to have a lot of creativity 
around how this should work, knowing yes. knowing the players, not the characters, but knowing the players that are at your mm-hmm. table, the story you're running, the dynamic of the party. Um, but I, I feel like too, you could, you know, somebody could say, I'm gonna use my divine smite on this attack. Um, and you could be like, you know, you hold out your sword and you like speak the incantation, whatever flavor you wanna add, and you don't feel energy coursing through your sword, it didn't work without really giving a lot of explanation, right? Right. Um, and sometimes if you wanna keep it fair, you could roll like a percentile and like it mm-hmm. happens on a 50% or greater or something like that. Yeah, um, give it kind and of, I also make, feel, make it kind of glitchy, right? Right, and I kind of feel too like you could, instead of doing a full 24 hours, maybe it's a long rest and you have to stay up all night repenting and suddenly you have a level of exhaustion. So if you F up again, you're going to get a second level of exhaustion. You're not going to be able to remove this first one. So yes. essentially there is a, a immediate fix, but it has repercussions because you either repent and have a level of exhaustion in magic or mm-hmm. you sleep and you don't have exhaustion, but now you also don't have magic. Right. So there's going to be a penalty either way. And this is one of the few classes where I think alignment actually matters um, in the oh, way that hugely. we- hugely. Yeah, the way that we typically talk about it, how it's descriptive, not prescriptive, but where it gives a clue as to how someone is or isn't lining up with their creed, right? So mm-hmm. I like that very much. Um, the other thing that I thought about too is, as you know, I'm running Strahd at the moment, and one of the yeah. things in there are dark gifts, which the gifts typically come with side effects like flaws. And that was an interesting concept too of like, what if something happens in the campaign that gives a paladin a flaw that is counterintuitive to their oath yes right and then how a does... very interesting conflicted yeah. character. <laughs> like what do they do how do they play that um that would be a really interesting thing to to play as well so i think all of that leading up to like it you can break your oath right you can go against what you swore you were going to do there are ways to redeem yourself and mm-hmm. i think a lot of how that looks should really be left up to the dm discretion because of of how multifaceted yeah. that is um but there's also the opportunity there that if players decide that for their character that they had this awakening and the oath that they swore to was really um not something that they agree with anymore on a fundamental level that's where there is actually the option of a different oath that you were going to talk about in the previous kind of segment um called the oath breaker and this one is actually it lives in the dungeon master's guide it doesn't even Mm -hmm. live in any of the player sources Right, we should tell you what it's meant to be for, right? Like this, yeah. like you can absolutely let a player choose it, but asterisks, like talk with your player a little bit beforehand and figure out what would cause this. Because this is almost like a role play subclass where you go from Oath of Vengeance to Oath Breaker. You wouldn't start as Oath Breaker. That doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. It's a It's a narrative device. Uh, and typically for bad guys. And, and you'll see why, because you have to be evil and third level to do this. Um, but it basically, their uh, channel divinities help you to bolster and command undead creatures. It, it's the complete opposite mm-hmm. of paladins, it's a- where it's like, get rid of them, push them away, smite them, kill them. And now you're like, hmm, I can control them. What? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is very much like a Death Knight kind of vibe from the Monster Manual. This is like to put it in like uh, professional wrestling terms is like the heel turn, right? Where now they're like, you know what? I was wrong. Like this, the the turning into the BBEG arc where they're like, no, I see clearly now. Now my eyes are open. I see what needs to happen. We need to purge the whole world of all life, not just evil life. That's they turn the into problem. Thanos. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. That's this is where they like the switch gets flipped and they're off the rocker. And but they it makes perfect sense to them because it's that that zealous devotion of a strict perception of life that can so easily go bad and this is the representation of it um but one of my favorite things just because of the name alone is that seventh level their aura is called aura of hate and i've known people like that but um <laughs> but basically fiends and undead within 10 feet of the paladin get a bonus to uh damage rolls um equal to the charisma modifier and uh, they also later just gain resistance to BPS from non-magical weapons. And their capstone is called the Dread Lord. Um, basically, they go Super Saiyan and in their aura, um, where any bright light is reduced to dim light, um, which is nice. Uh, enemies are frightened by him, which makes sense. And they take 4d10 psychic damage. Uh, and um, they also can choose for their aura to be like draped in an even deeper shadow, uh, causing people to have disadvantage on attack rolls and things. Also, if you had like, oh, I don't know, say a vampire in there with you, you could act as a delivery bubble once you get close enough to the target, even though it's the middle of the day. So there's a lot of really like just buck wild things in here. You could absolutely do it, but it is, 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 it's intended to be a certain kind of storytelling device, which is really cool, actually. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, a lot of people are very interested in this because a lot of people like tragic, hate-filled backstories driving their mm -hmm. motives. Um, but it's interesting because like, it's, it's walking such a line if you let a player use this, yes. right? Because there's the point where it's like, undead get bonuses. <laughs> to attacks, right? So if, if this person's in their party, it's gonna cause the rest of the party to have a harder time. Because yes. if you go into that cemetery, it, that, that you know is desecrated ground, and then you've got an Oathbreaker Paladin with you, you could get, your party could get slaughtered just because that person's presence is with you. However, on that same note, if you, depending on how you you'd construct this with your players, what if you have a Necromancer? in your party who can yep. raise the dead and control the undead suddenly now they're the ones that are going to get these buffs as well right in addition to yeah. that wizard's um abilities to kind of control them and so i can see i can see it from all angles but i also see how easy it would be to have this be a huge problem at a table not just for the yes. story but for the players as well right this could go off the rails very quickly but it also could be very beautiful if you use it working with the grain of intention where it can be very very powerful and amazing storytelling and I, I know there's always like the concept of we want to play an all evil character game which I've never been a huge fan of but I could also see a world where you're playing a morally gray party game where the necromancer and the oathbreaker are working together because they don't mind using the undead because the bad guys yeah. do way worse than that and uh the lesser of two evils basically it is like a dystopian fantasy setting where it's like 
like, listen, we're not trying to save the world. We just don't want it to get worse because uh, that's the best we can hope for. So I, I can see that kind of fun thing, too. And the last thing I'll say, too, about Paladins is, is like what we talked about with the Rangers is where the Ranger, by the conceit and concept of what they are and they do and their favorite terrain and all that, where that class itself is trying to tell a very specific story. And so you want to work with your dungeon master ahead of time to make sure that you both can tell the kind of story you want to tell without negating one or the other. Mm -hmm. The paladin is the same way uh, to a, maybe a slightly lesser degree that I think a session zero is really important here because you can help with your dungeon master define your oath, define the tenets of this creed you follow, and also get to answer questions like, what's the one thing your paladin would never do? What is the- Where's the, the line? Where's the line for him? And then that gives you fodder and material for narrative storytelling that could be really, really interesting. And like, what are you trying to accomplish here? Like more so than any other people, because they have, like I said, that laser tunnel vision focus of a goal that is inherent to the class. So I think it's really important. And I'll give you a good example is um, I had a player in a game who was, I think it was Oath of Vengeance. And the secret about his character, it was that he was a revenant. He was mm. someone who was dead and was back to seek revenge on the people who killed him and his entire order. And revenants are only supposed to last one year. Um, and then they go back to whence they came. And so they have one, I think it's like a year and a day to accomplish their goal. And part of his oath was is that he has to punish everyone who was involved. And if he fails to do that, there was a real chance that he wouldn't just lose his powers. He would just, his, his borrowed time would just end early because he wasn't dedicated to the goal that brought him back from the dead. And mm -hmm. so it, uh, that could have really easily overtaken the whole story, but we worked it out together and it made it just really, really interesting, really satisfying. And uh, it's just, a, a, I think, a good example uh, by way of story of how you work together with your DM to use such narratively driven and focused classes like the Paladin. Thanks so much for joining us this week on The Compendium, where we are talking about all things D&D, helping you spend less time learning and more time actually playing. This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only confidence coaching program that uses D&D &D to help people become just as confident in real life as their D&D &D characters are at the game table. If you're intrigued, click the link in our show notes to take a free online quiz that will stat you as a level one D&D &D character in real life. New episodes of the Compendium do come out twice a week, so make sure you subscribe so you're the first to be notified every time new content is published. The Compendium also has a Patreon, so if you like what we do, please consider contributing to our Patreon account for as little as $2 a month, and in doing so, get yourself early access to all of the episodes. Thanks so much for listening in, and we will see you guys next time.